Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with the Wednesday night wrestling edition of your favorite podcast. That's right, getting over is back, breaking down everything that happened in NXT and AEW on Wednesday night, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about before we get into the greatness that is Wednesday Night Wrestling in the year of our Lord 2020. A couple reminders as always. Please, if you have not already, and plenty of you have not, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop us that five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Every single review counts. Every single review helps bump us up in the Apple Podcast ratings. And considering the last week we've had, we are due for a major bump. This is our sixth show. Yes, sixth episode of Getting Over in the last eight days. Two Tuesday shows, two Thursday shows, a special interview edition with Apollo Crews last Friday. Please listen to that if you have not. It's totally evergreen. doesn't matter that Extreme Rules already happened. Really good interview with Apollo Crews. And of course, we did our instant analysis of WWE Extreme Rules on Sunday. So that makes this our sixth episode in the last eight days. And by the way, Tuesday, even if you don't watch WWE proper, I interviewed NXT superstar Karrion Cross at the end of that show. Please listen to Tuesday's episode. Check out that interview, one of my favorites that I've done to this point, not just on getting over, but wrestling audio in general. But we're not here to talk about any of that. We're here to talk Wednesday night wrestling. A couple more reminders before we get into it. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I tweet about Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, occasionally Impact, and some other stuff all week long. So it's great for interaction. You guys can talk. You can send in your questions for our sliding into the DM segment. We do have one of those coming later in today's show. But, you know, I tweet GIFs and videos and audio and fun stuff. So please, please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and don't just follow us, retweet, like, share our tweets, so that way this audience grows and the community of Getting Over listeners keeps growing. For those of you, by the way, that contributed to the show previously, I wanted to let you know I am honing in on the exact products that I will be buying to uh, increase the audio level of the show and try to have us take that next step. Also, for the top contributors, I am zeroing in on a methodology for us to do our watch along, our very special exclusive watch along to a former, or should I say older WWE pay-per-view. I have not worked out the exact logistics yet. I will figure it out soon. My hope is to do it in early August. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, that's all of that. Let's talk about Wednesday Night Wrestling. NXT and AEW both completely delivered on Wednesday night. I thought both shows were terrific. Uh, they mirrored each other in many ways, not just in terms of entertainment value, but neither was a big show in particular. Certainly NXT still two weeks after Great American Bash. AEW having just ran Fighter Fest in back-to-back weeks, following that up with Fight for the Fallen, obviously the big title match between John Moxley and Brian Cage last week. So both shows kind of in reset mode, but nevertheless completely entertaining. The way in which they presented their products was quite different. Yet, the scheduling and the booking of the shows was somewhat similar, especially around the 9 p.m. hour, where we saw, in my opinion, one of the best matches of the pandemic era, period, on NXT, the triple threat match, and a damn good tag team match on AEW with the Young Bucks. And someone who is not a massive Young Bucks fan, um, to see Young Bucks and Butcher and the Blade be one of my favorite matches on a week that we had have already had great matches. Raw gave us like three great matches. NXT, like I said, gave us one. They actually gave us two. And and, and AEW gave us a couple as well. So for Young Bucks and Butcher and Blade to stand out for me, that's a shocker for me more than probably even you guys listening to this. Uh, But when trying to figure out which promotion to start with this week, I know I start with NXT a lot. Uh, There's usually reasons for that. It's usually because I enjoy it more or there's more to talk about. In this case, I was trying to differentiate the two shows. AEW, top to bottom, may have been a slightly stronger show, but there was no major storyline to discuss in AEW, no main thing to talk about. NXT, we definitely did have that with Keith Lee relinquishing the North American Championship, so that 
is where we are going to start this week. Show opened with a big announcement from William Regal. As I said, Keith Lee relinquishing the North American Championship. NXT announcing that there will be a ladder match SummerSlam weekend at NXT TakeOver 30 with qualifying matches to earn entry into that five-man ladder match. Folks, as a wise man once said, I believe I had that. I am almost positive I called that exact scenario on this podcast. And unless my memory is serving me incorrectly, I am insanely excited that not only did I get that right, but that this is actually happening. Now, some may say that a double champion should have a long reign with both titles. But once someone wins a world title, the mid-card title becomes a hindrance to booking more than anything else. It becomes dispensable, almost. Tag team titles are an exception, as that's a different division. You're seeing that right now with Sasha Banks and Bayley in particular being SmackDown Women's Champion and a Women's Tag Team Champion. But you don't want your world champion losing a mid-card title while still being world champion, even if it's a schmoz finish or by happenstance or something like that. So Keith Lee stepping up, relinquishing the title and saying that it's to give opportunity to a lot of people, just like he was given an opportunity once. I really like that storytelling. I thought it was good. I saw some people criticizing it. I, I, I watch NJPW right now. I see a guy, you know, a situation where they have a double champion and what's happening? Well, one male singles division is now there's fewer people really contesting in, in matches that matter. They also have the never open weight championship and other things that they can do. But the Intercontinental title in NJPW is their mid-card title. And right now it's only being contested alongside the world title in double champion matches. For me, that's just a total waste. NXT has too much talent to make, make it be that every person who challenges Keith Lee is challenging for both titles. I'm not, I don't like that. Now, what I do like, as long-term listeners know, I am a huge fan of qualifying matches and tournaments and brackets and all of that with professional wrestling. So this, what NXT is doing, you know is right up my alley. And the fact that it all culminates in a five-man ladder match at the TakeOver 30 SummerSlam weekend, obviously it harkens back to how the North American title debuted. I believe it was NXT TakeOver New Orleans, which is a nice historical touch. I was there for that live That is one of the greatest matches, period, I've ever seen live. It was a five-star match. It may have even been better than that. Absolutely incredible. So overall, this booking with Keith Lee and the North American Championship, it gets two big thumbs up from the Silver King. It's the right thing to do. Otherwise, Lee would have gotten stale as a double champion, and a ton of wrestlers would have basically nothing to do outside of trying to compete for the world title, which really you only do that with one or two people at a given time. Now, later in the show, they had the first qualifying match for this ladder match. And my only real criticism here is that they didn't have this match immediately after the announcement at the start of the show. The announcement was hot, but then they went into that Dexter Loomis-Killian Dane match, which was a total energy suck. I know that you want that 9 p.m. hour to really be big. You want to kind of take the audience, if you're NXT, from AEW into the second hour. And this match was certainly a way to do that. But man, if this was promoted at all, I know they couldn't because they wanted to make the announcement on the show. But if you're not going to promote it, man, just give me that match immediately. Let these guys go to work. Win hour one for a change. Try to do something. That said, like I, that was the only negative. This was a fantastic triple threat match in the, hour, in the middle hour of the show. I loved the decision making of putting this trio together as Bronson Reed really got to shine alongside two of the best wrestlers in WWE. Gargano and Strong going back and forth was as good as it gets, but Reed got plenty of time to work with them, each individually and as a trio. NXT also booked this right with the proper person winning, as Bronson Reed needs the showcase of the North American title match, especially the latter match, far more than Gargano or Strong. And obviously, I hope Strong and Undisputed Era are on the main roster come SummerSlam weekend anyway. So for me, it was Reed or Gargano at the beginning of the match, rooting for Reed to get that opportunity. He's someone I want to see in a big featured match like this, knowing Gargano just doesn't need it. Um, And I love the finish, the way they made it happen with Strong eating the final beat and then Reed's huge splash and that splash simultaneously hurting Gargano's hand, which he had to nurse, so he was unable to make the cover. It totally protected Roderick Strong because he ate two finishers, and there's no shame in eating two finishers and losing like that. It protected Gargano because he didn't factor into the finish. Meanwhile, 
you have Bronson Reed who just beat Johnny Gargano and Roderick Strong in a triple threat match. So win, win, win. Huge. Just great booking right there. The goal of these qualifying matches and the ladder match itself should be to get over a ton of fresh talent and give opportunities to people who have not necessarily had them yet. Yes, maybe you can throw in a Finn Balor or maybe one other veteran if there's a second chance triple threat or a second chance gauntlet match for the final spot. After all, they are doing five spots. There's only four weeks and they said they're going to be doing triple threat qualifying matches. So to me, that means four triple threat qualifying matches and then either a gauntlet or fatal four-way or something like that for that final spot. So if you get a Finn Balor, and by the way, excuse me, it is lightning and thundering in South Florida as I tape this podcast. So anything you hear in the background, there's only so much I can do about it. But whether you get a Finn Balor, maybe a Damian Priest in here, someone like that, totally cool. But the people I want are some younger, newer faces. I want the Bronson Reeds. I want the Swerves. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Maybe a Dexter Loomis, guys like that. I want to see the North American title be what the Intercontinental Championship used to be, where it's something that someone wins to elevate them into a level of prominence. And then once they give it up, they move on to the main event picture. That's what I want the North American Championship to be. So next week, we have Finn Balor versus Dexter Loomis versus Timothy Thatcher. And this is another really good example. You could have the veteran win, Balor, or you could have Thatcher or Loomis and get them in this featured situation. It feels to me like this will be a scenario where Loomis wins because uh, he can choke out Thatcher without Thatcher really losing anything. Um, but also, you know, I kind of would prefer Finn Balor in this match. I like the idea of Balor being the veteran in this ladder match at TakeOver 30 amongst with rookies all surrounding him. That's good booking to me. But we will see what happens. Very excited about this tournament, uh, for lack of a better term, the qualifying matches and this ultimate North American championship ladder match at TakeOver 30. By the way, I also like they're calling it TakeOver 30. It's the 30th. No harm in that. The logo is pretty sick. Is it a bit of a takeoff of the Triple X movie poster? Maybe, especially the first one, which had flames around it and three X's in the middle. But man, you know how long I've been waiting for NXT to use the X in the middle of their logo for a pay-per-view name again? Uh, so for, for them to do the logo in that way, and by the way, the logo is on our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast if you want to see it. It's awesome, so I'm excited for TakeOver. I absolutely loved how they opened NXT, the explanation and the booking, and then that 9 p.m. match. Again, I'm going to say it one more time, this triple threat, one of my favorite matches of the entire pandemic era, like a four and a half star match. If you don't watch NXT and you only listen to me, recap it before I get to AEW for some reason on this show, please go out of your way and watch this match. It was awesome. Okay, let's break down the rest of NXT on Wednesday night. Dexter Loomis defeated Killian Dane to open the show. Again, this didn't really do much of anything for me. I found it slow and plodding. Loomis's character was on absolute fire, stalking the Undisputed Era, lending help to Velveteen Dream. Now, he's kind of stuck in a rut. Uh, Dane has been back in NXT for about a year, maybe a little bit longer, and I don't believe he has a single win in a significant match of any kind. So it's not working with Killian Dane. I think it's their own fault. Uh, Dexter Loomis, he kind of feels like he's been slowed down a little bit. I don't think that's on purpose either. I just kind of want to see him get back to it because that character, that Dexter Loomis character, he has. It. Brizongo defeated Everrise in the second match. I just, the way the show started off for me was very poor. And I, some people that listen to this podcast, you say I criticize AEW too much and I don't criticize NXT enough. I mean, I, don't, I still don't know where that comes from. I just, I'm completely honest talking about my opinions of both brands. But here's criticism of NXT, okay? I just told you about it with Dexter Loomis and Dane. I'm gonna tell you about it here with Brizango and Everrise. I don't even really know what to say about this match. Brizango's entrance gimmick doesn't entertain me. Did they play off the Mountie theme? Did that pop some people? Sure, I don't care about the Mountie. Uh, though Everrise did a good job making Brizango look good in the ring. So I do give them credit for that as enhancement type of talent in this match. This should not have been the second match on the show. This probably should have maybe been a little bit of a cooler, I guess, after that awesome triple threat match in hour two. I, I probably, if I was booking, I wouldn't have put it on the show at all. So, you know, the NXT tag team division, I've said it, it's it's going absolutely nowhere right now. I would love to see El Legado del Fantasma. I would love to see those other two guys, Joe Wild and Raul Mendoza, 
become a tag team and start competing in that division. There's a million other things they can do. Indu sure, they debuted them and then they only show them once in a while. Imperium, the champions, is barely on television. So the tag team division is the worst it's been in NXT in maybe its existence, but definitely the last six or seven years. Uh, so I'm just pretty disappointed with how things are going right now. Now, that's not the case with the women's division because Shotzi Blackheart defeating Aaliyah shocked me. I was surprised how much I liked this match. It was the best of the first three on the first hour to me, which is not really a good sign necessarily. But Aaliyah has definitely improved in the ring. I saw it more in this match than I had previously. And Shotzi, once again, got the chance to showcase her immense skill. Her gimmick, to me, still seems completely forced. But I'll just have to give her that because I don't see it changing anytime. And she's so good in the ring that it really makes up for me thinking the gimmick itself is kind of corny. Also, we had the Robert Stone stuff, which is still completely hitting for me. Shotzi running over his other ankle, pop me, him screaming, bloody murder, just like he did the first time. Really funny. Uh, and I'm really glad that they're aligning Mercedes Martinez with him and the Robert Stone brand. It makes a lot of sense for a veteran to kind of take advantage of his services. Also, she's not the strongest promo, not necessarily a bad one, but as you kind of saw on NXT Wednesday, it's not going to hurt her to get a little help in that department. So now Stone is able to take care of that. He's booking her in hopefully major title matches. Probably, I would assume at some point that Io Shirai is going to defeat Dakota Kai at TakeOver 30. My guess is when that's when that match happens. Now you have Mercedes Martinez after one or two months being built up to be another challenger to Io Shirai. So that's a win for me. The women's booking um, on Wednesday night, that was really all we saw out of the women on Wednesday night. But that very much worked for me, and I appreciated it. Moving on to Swerve, we mentioned him a little bit earlier. His vignette was great. A total 180 degrees in quality from the Shotzi vignette a month or so ago that I hated so much. That was corny. Swerve's was cool. Completely different. It's nice that they're starting to pay attention to him and develop his character beyond just an uber-talented athletic guy. Swerve is a star in the making. Isaiah Scott is his name, by the way, in NXT, if you don't know that he is Swerve. But he's a star in the making akin, yes, to Kofi Kingston. And I make that comparison because of his unique style and ability to pop a crowd. Plus, they also happen to be the exact same size. They're both like six feet even, 200 even. So they're the same body type, same dude in that regard. But they also have the athleticism and talent to catapult them to another level. You know, I can't say that when Kofi Kingston debuted in WWE, I ever truly expected him to be a WWE champion. When he had that feud with Randy Orton, I thought there was, that was their opportunity to elevate him into a main event role and they never actually did it. And all these years later, it took fan support for Kingston to get to that level. Swerve, I think, has that same ability where he may not be a main eventer on the main roster right away when he debuts eventually. But he is someone who absolutely can get there, has all of the talent in the world. He can speak on the mic. He's incredible in the ring. One of my favorite superstars in all of WWE right now. And I'm very excited that they are building him into a point of prominence in NXT. My concern is he seems to be fully concentrated on the Cruiserweight Championship at this time. And that's okay because, dude, if you're going to give me a Swerve Santos Escobar match, you're talking about like, two of my 15 favorite people in the entire company, that's awesome, right? That's a feud I want to see. That match, if they do that at TakeOver 30, is an awesome match that I would love to see. The slight problem that I have is both Santos Escobar and Swerve being as good as they are, they should probably be involved in these qualifying matches for the North American Championship. So on one hand, I'm excited that Swerve's getting a prominent booking and that that match with Escobar seems like it's going to be coming up. On the other, I kind of want both of them involved in something bigger. So I got to look on the positive side of this one that they have at least made him the key challenger for, you know, a championship in NXT. And as long as that match is not a throwaway on TV and they actually end up booking it for the pay-per-view or for the takeover, I'll be very excited about that. Otherwise, if they do book that for TV and he loses, hey, if he wins a qualifying match and gets into the North American Championship ladder match, Silver King will be just as happy with that. Timothy Thatcher defeated Oni Lorcan. Not really much to say about Thatcher's 
regular matches. It was another good technical affair, but it was also a repeat match from a couple weeks ago. Thatcher had to cheat to win this one and was clearly frustrated by Lorcan. But I don't really want to see them fight a third time, nor do I want to see him fight Danny Birch, for example. I just feel like technical wrestling savant as a gimmick has a very short runtime in 2020, and that is my concern overall about Thatcher, despite him clearly being talented. Now we'll talk about the main event of NXT, Karrion Cross defeating Dominic Dijakovic. Uh, my expectations were raised for this match after interviewing Cross on Tuesday's show. Again, if you have not heard my interview with Karrion Cross on Tuesday's show, please go listen to it. It is timestamped in the description. But he sold that match to me and to the audience, everyone listening, very well. So all of a sudden, my expectations went from kind of middle of the road to pretty damn high about this main event. And they definitely met my new higher raised expectations. Being able to go against someone with the size, strength, and athleticism of Dijakovic really showcased Cross's ability more than any of his matches thus far in NXT have so you know to this point. Some will say they don't really love Cross as a wrestler because maybe he's too robotic, he, he relies too much on strength and intimidation, but that's his gimmick. That's something unique that he does. He's a gimmick who is a good dominant wrestler as opposed to a good dominant wrestler searching for a gimmick. I'm completely okay with that. I love the back and forth with the referee after Cross knocked Dijakovic out cold by trapping his head between the steel steps and smashing them. I honestly cannot remember ever seeing something like that before. So I just thought that was an awesome spot, but it didn't make much sense to me why the referee let the match continue when Dijakovic at a minimum was concussed and at a maximum had a skull, you know, crushed in. That should have been the end of the match right there. It could have been just, you know, a knockout or they could have called it, you know, uh, Dijakovic being unable to continue and basically cross wins by forfeit, Uh, whatever. They could have ended it there. Now I know why they didn't, but I don't know if they should have gone with that extreme of a spot if the match was going to continue from there. That's kind of what I'm trying to get across. Keith Lee coming out to potentially save Dijakovic, but his friend not wanting him to help him was straight Rocky for. Uh, when Drago basically punches Apollo Crews, uh, I almost said Apollo Crews, Apollo Creed to death, and Rocky doesn't stop it from happening, doesn't throw in the towel until it's too late, even though he knows he should and that Apollo is about to get his ass killed. Same thing happened here. Keith Lee, ready to kind of get involved in the match. Dijakovic looking at him saying, no, don't. This is my fight. I want to go out this way and actually ends up going out that way. It's actually an interesting booking considering when Dijakovic debuted with the gimmick that he currently has, people were comparing him to Drago, yet it ends up being Karrion Cross who Drago's Dijakovic, who in this case was more of the Apollo Creed role. I just thought it was awesome. I'm a big Rocky fan. It was the first thought and I couldn't get rid of it out of my head when I saw it. I've never seen a booking like that before. I know that we recently had Cody and AEW in that match with MJF. I forgot if it was a strap match or or only DQ for one person. I don't remember, but Cody... Oh, that's what it was. Cody had to take lashes from MJF. And I remember uh, Dustin was ringside and Brandy were ringside and Cody was crying and he didn't want them to help him. And, and that was similar, similarly good. But this being in an actual match was so Rocky for and so unique that I just couldn't take my eyes off it. I like was taking notes throughout the entire show. I put the computer to the side and I was just watching that unfold. That was great booking. It was also a great way to write off Dijakovic from NXT and put even more heat and brutality on Cross while simultaneously foreshadowing what will clearly be the main event of NXT TakeOver 30. The only question raised by this potential main event is how NXT can have that match without taking the title off Keith Lee so quickly. It's really interesting. If they take the title off Lee and put it on Cross, they have no choice but to move Keith Lee up to the main roster. You can't have him continue in NXT after losing the title that he's been waiting to win after basically one month. So now you're in a really weird situation. And Lee on the main roster is something that needs to happen sooner than later, absolutely. But then if Cross wins the title, there's almost no one to compete with him in terms of size and strength in NXT. I mean, yeah, you do have a Damian Priest, sure, and a Bronson Reed. There's guys that can go up against him. 
but he would be so much more dominant than the next comer. Potentially, you could bring Tommaso Ciampa back with a renewed vigor for as a challenger. Bowler's there, Gargano's there, but those are all guys based on intimidation level, size, and strength factor who theoretically should lose to Cross. So I think it would be way too early for a title change. Well, obviously, we have four weeks to get there, but ultimately, I hope they figure out a way booking-wise that Lee can retain the title. Maybe Cross gets disqualified. I don't know, maybe just Lee rolls him up or, or catches a break or something. I just hope ultimately they don't change the title this quickly. Cross, they've done a great job building his character. He's intimidating. You totally believe everything that he does, everything that he says, which is little at this point, and you believe in Scarlet completely. But I want a little bit longer with Lee as champion before Cross takes the title off him. Now, hopefully you can tell by the length of that breakdown of NXT, this is one of my most enjoyable episodes of NXT in weeks. I mean, I love the Great American Bash, the matches themselves, but I'm not even really counting those. I'm talking about from a storytelling perspective, from you know developing storylines for the future, which is NXT TakeOver 30. I thought NXT did a really, really good job on Wednesday night, as did AEW. And like I said earlier in the show, there was not a singular thing or storyline that happened in this show that makes me jolt it into the top spot above breaking down the card from start to finish. But that's also because my favorite moment of the entire night was how AEW opened with the TNT title open challenge match, Cody defending and defeating Eddie Kingston in a no disqualification match and Cody winning by submission. This was an absolutely fantastic start to the show. Kingston, for anyone who has seen or knows of him previously, is an incredible promo. And the fact that AEW gave him the chance to kick off the show with a promo was smart. He's unique. He has a raw energy that AEW candidly has been missing over the last few months. Taz brings that energy in his promo, but he's not a wrestler. Eddie Kingston is almost Taz on the mic, plus a badass type of ass-kicking wrestler that they don't really have someone like that who's a true brawler. Now, as of right now, Eddie Kingston is not signed to AEW. There were a lot of people clamoring for that on Wednesday after Dynamite. I don't know why they wouldn't sign Eddie Kingston. I thought NXT should have signed Eddie Kingston. This guy's a really talented, really good wrestler. Is he on the wrong side of 35? Sure, the guy's 38 years old. He's in the latter stages of his career. But this is someone who long-term could be an asset for AEW, not just in the ring and on the mic for maybe the next two to four years, but if, you know, hopefully the company lasts that long, but also backstage as a producer long-term, as someone who helps develop talent, maybe even as a trainer, however they end up developing um, something like that, a dojo of some type. So I just liked everything about this opening segment, the introduction of Eddie Kingston, his mic work, how he explained the genesis of this becoming a no disqualification stipulation, which was needed for this match. I don't think this would have succeeded anywhere near the level it did without a no disqualification stipulation. And I love the idea that Tony Khan approved it, but Cody had to accept it as the champion because it was being sprung on him right before the match. There's no reason that someone from outside the company should come in and get a title match and a no disqualification match and the champion be surprised and not accepting of it. So I liked that booking, made a lot of sense to me. I'm sure AEW has plans for how they're eventually going to change the TNT title. It would have been a great, unpredictable spot to do it here with Kingston. Nevertheless, match was great. I like the introduction of thumbtacks. The submission finish was a nice change of pace for a Cody match. If you were watching this segment for AEW to open the show, you were not changing the channel. You wanted to see how this played out. And that's exactly what I was talking about with NXT. You have that announcement from William Regal and Keith Lee. You announce the triple threat. You go right to that match. No one is changing the channel. They're watching the triple threat match. So that's exactly what I was talking about. I love that Kingston was brought in, as I said. I do wonder a little bit why AEW is bringing in outside challengers so early when they have so many people on their roster to compete for the TNT Championship. But as I said, this segment was great. Absolutely thrilled that this opened the show. One of my favorite segments that AEW has done in this pandemic era, period. Maybe my favorite. It's up there. Just absolutely great television. Uh, MJF defeated Griff Garrison in the next segment. Good to see MJF back. I couldn't really believe they went to a commercial break during this match and let it last this long. Didn't care about the match at all. I like the Heat Seeker as a finisher. Ultimately, the match did its job. But just like I said with the NXT tag team match, uh, you know, in my prior segment here, 
This should have been on the second hour of the show. They were very similar matches in terms of they were just letdowns from the way the show started. And it was too early to give a letdown in that type of spot. So same criticism. I gave NXT. I'm going to give AEW on that. Uh, Britt Baker absolutely ruled in her locker room promo, calling out Akaru Shida for breaking her nose, calling Tony Schiavone an asshole, and calling her shot at All Out. Britt Baker is absolutely killing it. Big Dog. I don't know why I did Big Dog, but I don't really have many positive sound drops. So we'll just go with Big Dog for right now. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about the Taz promo segment was Taz's promo. The explanation for throwing in the towel made sense, of course, but he seriously meandered while he was talking about it. Everything after that, after he stopped speaking, was awesome. Darby Allen getting launched into the ring with that Brian Cage like super power bomb that was a standout. I'm not sure why you would put Ricky Starks with a mouthpiece like Taz when Ricky Starks can talk just as well on his own, but from a personality standpoint, it works. And I, and I like the booking. I'm excited for the tag team match that we're going to get next week. As I mentioned earlier, 9 p.m. match on NXT killed it. Also, the 9 p.m. match on AEW absolutely killed it. Young Bucks defeating Butcher and Blade. I liked the unique idea of having a Falls Count Anywhere match start, not just outside the ring, but in a completely different venue. So the guys just randomly butchering meat in the middle of a wrestling show in a kitchen, that was a little odd to me. I know it was a comedy spot, but I was quickly able to get over that. Blade riding up the escalator, going into commercial break, that was hysterical. And the action after the break near the ring was awesome. The double high-risk maneuver from atop the set was a great finish. This was a pay-per-view caliber match, just as the NXT one was a pay-per-view caliber match at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday night television show. So good Thank you for giving me that match. I cannot believe I loved a match between the Young Bucks, Butcher, and Blade that much. I don't know. Good wrestling is good wrestling. I loved it. The Lance Archer thing, not really good wrestling, at least not for me. I thought it was really staged and really corny. The promo wasn't good either, but I did completely pop when he threw the guy into the ceiling and later dumped him into the trash can. So those little parts of it were good, but overall, like him just walking into a room to beat up people to show up, Alex Marvez... I didn't do much for me. So I'm going to actually, there's not much that's actually a zero. So let me just use it. Zero point zero. It's not really a 0.0. It's kind of like a 0.5. Like I said, I did like the ceiling launch part. Other than that, it just didn't really work for me. Uh, Diamante against Evil Lease. So Diamante won via quick roll-up pinfall. I enjoyed this match and I enjoyed the finish. It was my first exposure to both women. And I think they're both incredibly talented there's apparently some issues with Ivelisse and who she associates with professionally. I have some understanding of that, but not enough to kind of speak on it in a serious manner. Enough where it did seem like she probably shouldn't have been on AEW Dynamite. But again, I'm not going to get too much into that just because I don't know the specifics. Uh, but going into this blind, I did think Diamante was in particular the star of the match. Obviously, she did win. I think she would be a good permanent addition to the women's division. I'm not exactly sure... Why she, with a two and three record now in AEW, gets to face the champion next week. And by the way, only one of those matches, I guess those five matches, I believe was a TV appearance. The other ones were all on dark. So I'm not sure why she gets to face Hikaru Shida next week. I know it's a non-title match, but she basically won like a qualifying almost number one contenders match over another woman who isn't in the company, now she gets to fight the champion. I know they just, they did it previously kind of with Pineapple Pete getting to face Chris Jericho. I don't think Jericho was the, still the champion at that time, but I know they did something similar previously. I don't know. Yeah, something about that doesn't work for me. They have real women's wrestling issues in AEW. They have the talent. They don't devote enough time to women on television or really give them booking of a higher quality. So... I'm still kind of waiting for that to develop from AEW. Hangman Page defeated five. That match was irrelevant, of course. Dark Order to me is a completely irrelevant, total loser dork faction. FTR making the save and its continued efforts to slowly split up Page and Kenny Omega. That's a welcome storyline. I enjoy where that's going. It was a good way to kind of inject that into Wednesday Night Show without dedicating an entire segment to it. But man, Dark Order, I could not care less. It's just bad for me. Uh, Chris Jericho and Jake Hager defeat Jurassic Express in the main event. Now, Inner Circle is the 
exact opposite of a dork faction, like Dark Order is. The main event was extremely well done with a very good match between the two teams, and it finished, obviously, with the much-needed return of Sammy Guevara, who is one of my favorites in the entire company. You know, he got a one-month suspension, basically missed two tapings, including both Fighter Fest nights and Fight for the Fallen. I think that's an appropriate punishment. Uh, Tony Khan handled this really well. So I am glad to see Sammy back. Younger, you know, still a younger side type of guy, still developing in the industry, still developing as an adult. Hopefully this was a learning experience for him, the stuff that he said about Sasha Banks. He's better than that, most likely. I don't know him personally. Seems like he's better than that. Seems like he has a good head on his shoulders. Hopefully he's matured and smartened up from this experience. The 10-man match that they have booked next week has an opportunity to be insane based on how AEW multi-man matches have been recently. There are some big names in that match from Santana and Ortiz plus Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy, certainly Marco Stunt, best friends Orange Cassidy. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Marco Stunt's probably not in the match, but you know he'll get involved. Nevertheless, lots of high flying, lots of stuff that could be really cool in that 10-man match. I don't know if it should main event, but considering Inner Circle's in it, maybe you do go with that as the main event. Top to bottom, this was a good edition of AEW. I think what you notice sometimes when I am in the show and I'm talking about both shows, I'll say I really liked NXT, I may start the show with it, but I only spend about 15 minutes talking about it for one reason or another, just because while the things that happen are good, there's not much that actually develops from a storyline perspective. This week, I spent a good amount of time on NXT, didn't end up spending a lot of time on AEW because I didn't feel like much actually happened in the show that mattered long-term. AEW just went through almost a pay-per-view and a half. I mean, they did three weeks of of pay-per-view quality matches. So now they have a good while to build up towards All Out, which I believe is in September. NXT, on the other hand, is building towards an August event. So they they have to go off and running. They had big storylines developed. So that's why I thought, from a storytelling perspective, NXT had a stronger night. But NXT and AEW, both really damn good shows on Wednesday. Another great Wednesday night of wrestling. I know people want to choose sides. And you guys think, some of you think, I choose a side. Do I prefer NXT more? Yes, that is my preferred wrestling brand out of the four major brands in the United States. Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. My preferred brand right now is NXT. But man, do I love me some AEW on Wednesdays, especially when it hits on all cylinders, especially when it does really smart things like Cody and Eddie Kingston, which opened the show. Absolutely loved it. Now, we do have more to talk about before we get out of here today. I have a number of DM slides from you. In fact, I have five of them. I also have a bit of audio that some of you wanted me to comment on. In fact, I got between tweets and DMs, I think I got seven or eight people all heard one piece of audio that wanted me to talk about it. Let's get into the DMs. We'll do the audio last. It's pretty controversial to some. I didn't find it that controversial. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but it's time for those DM slides. Okay, first up, Camp Calhoun at Camp Calhoun. He says, comparing how flawlessly NXT has worked to introduce Karrion Cross as a main eventer and serious title challenger, it just illuminates how much of a failure AEW has been trying to do the same with Brian Cage. Um, I don't necessarily know that I agree. You know, introducing Karrion Cross, they it, look, it's spectacular, all right? The way they have introduced this character makes total sense. But he's also somewhat of a new character. Brian Cage joining AEW. If you're an AEW fan, chances are you already knew who Brian Cage was. So you're not really introducing to, introducing him to a new audience. They still have given a full faith and effort to introducing Cage. They aligned him with Taz. They gave him a mouthpiece. I don't really, I'm not really familiar with Cage as a promo. Maybe he needed it. Maybe he didn't. I do think they've gone a little bit too far in terms of Cage adopting everything from Taz, the orange towel, the FTW championship, um, you know, basically some of the monikers that Taz used to use, just throwing them onto Cage, you know, even some of the slogans that Taz used as well. I don't necessarily think they had to go that far. My biggest issue with Cage is just what I said about Brody Lee previously and Lance Archer. It's that... AEW brought in three big guys. They needed big guys. They did not have them. And all three of them lost their first major match. So that to me is disappointing. 
Other than that, I think Cage has done pretty good. I like that now he's out of the world title picture. The stuff that he did with Darby Allen was pretty cool. Just like I said, launching him, it showed his strength and size. He had a decent debut in that ladder match. I didn't think it was that great, but I don't think this is an NXT or AEW thing in terms of how they booked. I think it's more of a Karrion Cross and Brian Cage thing. Karrion Cross is really crazy unique as a character. Brian Cage is a really big, strong muscle guy who they're calling the machine. I just think it's it's the guy. I don't think it's the company. So let's give AEW a break on that. Adam X Parsons writes in, by the way, at Adam X Parsons on Twitter. Does AEW's women's tag team tournament get you excited for their women's division? And do you think the company will add more full-time talent to fill out that roster? I've mentioned before, AEW's roster is huge. The women's roster isn't necessarily huge, but last count, I think they had like 17 or 19 women, which is plenty. The problem is that all their main eventers or a large portion of their main eventers are either injured or not able to travel into the United States to wrestle. So they're just in a really unfortunate time right now. As far as the women's tournament, I don't really know what to think about it. It's a women's tag team tournament for a company that barely has a healthy women's roster, only has one women's tag team, and doesn't have women's tag team titles. So I don't know what the point is. If they're going to introduce women's tag team titles, to me, that is a huge rush. Unnecessarily. Right now, they're still only doing approximately one women's segment or one women's match weekly. And I did just say that NXT only had one this week. That's this week. Many times they have two or three. So... Man, I just wish they would kind of concentrate on making that singles division strong. I kind of wish this tournament was a bracket-style tournament to determine a number one contender rather than a women's tag team tournament with no discernible reason for having it. But look, I can't really criticize it until it happens. So let's see who they bring in. Let's see the type of matches they have. And let's see if there is a reason why they're doing it, ultimately. So I'll reserve judgment until we see it play out. Black Sabre Jr. at underscore Black Sabre Jr. He said, despite what have been mostly solid shows and more or less captive audiences, it seems ratings for wrestling shows have continued to slide. Do you think this is indictment of the product itself? Would you change or what would you change? I'm sorry to move the needle. I think it's an indictment of people not wanting to see wrestling without fans more than anything else. Wrestling is popular. It is never going to be as popular as it was in the Attitude Era, in the during the Monday Night Wars era. I think that WWE in particular, the slide of Raw on Monday nights is probably their own fault. Booking has not been great recently. The shows have been okay. I found them entertaining. But there was a while where Raw was kind of hitting on all cylinders. And I don't know if it's Paul Heyman leaving necessarily or some of the booking decisions that they've made. But it's not really doing that anymore. As the pandemic wears on, I also think the news cycle has ramped up. Create there's Look, shit in this country right now is crazy. Let's just be honest. There's many nights myself where wrestling's on, and I'm like, you know what? I kind of wish I was able to watch the news right now rather than wrestling, but I watch wrestling because we have the podcast, and I end up tuning into the news around 11 o'clock or midnight, depending which night. So look, a lot of stuff's happening in the world. Sports are just about to come back, and wrestling, is from a presentation standpoint, is the worst it has been across WWE, NXT, and AEW. Fanless, you know, wrestling, it's only it's only as good as it can be. So I just think the entire industry is in a really rough spot right now. I even gave watching Impact a shot, you know, because we talked about it. I watched Slammiversary. I mean, they had no one in the crowd. So it was back to what WWE was doing at the beginning. You heard every single noise that the ring possibly made. Josh Matthews was screaming at the top of his lungs. It was just a really, really bad presentation. Impact with a crowd, maybe that's something I would watch, but I can't watch it the way they're currently taping it. So I think you have to give all wrestling a break right now. Enjoy it for what it is. They're trying to entertain us. Sports is about to be back. Um, You know, there's a lot of new shows that are going to be coming to Netflix in, in August. TV, some shows that were scheduled to debut pilots and... um new programs and things that were taped ahead of time. There, you're going to see some of them in the summer, certainly, but you're going to see some of them in the fall as well. The question is, when is wrestling going to be able to get fans back? And even if they do get fans back, are they going to be able to travel? Or are they going to be stuck at the same venues? You know, AEW in Jacksonville, WWE 
either in Orlando or maybe in some Lakeland facilities. Are they going to be able to move out of those facilities? I don't know. I don't think they're going to be traveling for a long time. We will see. Uh, Lil underscore Nate at MT Stewart 4. He writes in, the show has been great as always. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed the Karrion Cross interview too. Thank you very much. And by the way, that's on Tuesday's show for anyone who has not heard it yet. My question for this week is, what's your opinion of Finn Balor's latest NXT run? I had high hopes, but it feels like it's been a bit of a letdown. There have been some good matches, but I expected him to be more in the main event picture or involved in some type of long-term booking. I agree, it has been a bit of a letdown. On one hand, you don't want him to come right back immediately and become champion again just because he's a former main roster guy. On the other hand, you remember he's one of the best, best NXT champions of all time. So for him not to be heavily involved in that picture is a little strange. It is for that reason that I do help hope he wins either this qualifying match next Wednesday or whatever they end up doing to determine the fifth spot, a last chance match or a gauntlet match or something like that. I do hope Balor gets that booking and gets to be in this North American title ladder match. And honestly, he really wouldn't be a bad person to win the North American title. I know I just said earlier, the goal of the title should be to put over younger people. But if you don't do it in the title match itself, in the ladder match, you can put someone over by having them beat Finn Balor a month after he wins the title. That's another way to do it. So I'm not sure what the plans are for Balor. It seems like he's happier and more creatively fulfilled being in NXT. And maybe for now that's enough, but you have Balor, you have Gargano, and you have Champa. All those guys, NXT main eventers, who they're trying not to involve in the main event picture. How do you book those guys? It's very difficult to do. So they haven't really figured it out yet, but let's see what they end up figuring out in the long term. And last on the DM slides, Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. He asks, where do you rank William Regal's run as GM on the list of all the GMs that have happened uh, in any and all promotions? It's a good question. He is up there. Um, He may be number one in terms of the title, quote unquote, general manager. I am partial maybe because I grew up with Gorilla Monsoon as WWE president uh, or commissioner, I think maybe it was back in the early 90s. I liked that and Monsoon always felt like a true executive, someone who laid down the law, made things happen. But for a general manager using that title, he's pretty damn good, William Regal. I mean, Teddy Long was a good general manager, but it also was really repetitive and a lot of it were jokes at Teddy Long. Um, How many times was he going to have someone face The Undertaker? How many times... Was he going to turn a singles match into a tag match or a tag match into a six man or an eight man or whatever the case? It almost became a parody of itself at that point. But William Regal is a damn good general manager. And I think if you're going to use that specific term, he's the best general manager of all time. Now we'll wrap up today's show with something that happened after NXT and AEW went off the air. AEW, I guess, something I've never watched before. It seems like they have a post-show on YouTube, and I don't know if it's this week, this is who was on it, or if this is the normal group, but this week it was Jim Ross, Excalibur, and Taz. And at some point, I don't have the context because it was a long show, and the only thing that was really posted online by someone on Twitter was a short clip of something that happened on the show. But it's JR, Taz, and Excalibur basically talking about Wednesday Night Wrestling. And I'm going to play this clip in two parts because my opinions of both parts are completely different. And again, You guys asked me to talk about it, not me. I wasn't even going to bring it up. But since you asked, we're going to play these clips and I'll give you my opinions on both of them. You know, it's going to sound real uh, ass-kissing, but why is there even a choice on Wednesday night? You know, DVR NXT. Watch it later. Our shit's better. And I'm proud to be able to say that. And it's not in defiance, it's just in reality. I don't remember the last time I even watched this show. That's no bullshit. I really don't give a rat's ass about it. I respect the men and women there, you know, that are bump, bumping and working. But I, I'm i not trying to be a homer. I don't give a shit if someone thinks I am. But I just, I'm so locked into what we do. I really don't give a rat's ass. So. That boy. Okay, so first of all, two things. One, uh, is it totally homer comments? Like Taz just said, he doesn't care if someone calls him a homer. Yeah, it's homer comments. I mean, I don't think there's anything 
wrong with that if this was an NXT post show. And if for some reason they did mention AEW, I would expect them to say, our shit's better, right? So my expectation of JR and Taz thinking that their product is better than NXT, it's to- A, it's totally fair. B, a lot of people agree with them. There's people who watch AEW and are AEW fans over NXT fans. Totally legitimate. So zero issue with anything they said there. But if you don't think that they're being shills or homers saying that on an AEW YouTube stream about their own company, well, of course. And as far as Taz's comment about not watching NXT, I mean, granted, yes, AEW is taped now, except, I mean, I guess every other week it's live, but they're taping it. NXT's taped. I wouldn't really expect Taz or JR to watch NXT. I mean, maybe JR would just because he knows some of the people and he loves wrestling so much, but I don't know why. There's no expectation that Adam Cole watches AEW, although I'm sure he does because he has friends there. I have no expectation that, I don't know, uh, Chris Jericho watches Raw or NXT or anything like that. So whatever. I really don't care about that first one. But yes, that's totally fair. You guys, I'm glad that they think AEW is better. They should say that. They are employed by AEW. No issue. Let's move to the second part. That steps well, here's the deal, man. You think, you think any of those TV shows, those online shows, those streaming shows that WWE does, they would ever mention us? Shit, no. They're, they're arrogant. They're omnipotent. They're the they, king they, of the mountain. They, yeah, I... I and so I, I, we, here's us going on our YouTube channel, trying to build this entity. Here's us going on Wednesday night on TNT, trying to build that brand. And I mention guys all the time that had WWE backgrounds. So what? Yeah, and I'll tell you, one other thing on that, and you'll get some people that'll make comments on the YouTube gimmick where they make comments. I'm like, oh, there it is again. AEW complaining about WWE. No dumb shits. What we're doing is we're not insulting your intelligence, and we're acknowledging WWE. Okay, they are the ones insulting your intelligence. So this is just not true. I mean... I don't know what world JR is living in here or or the world Taz is living in, but let's kind of break it down a little bit. Number one, WWE mentioned AEW on Raw. Now, was it a stupid gimmick with, I don't even remember what it was. Was it uh, Corey Graves' uh, shock chair? I I honestly, it was so stupid, I can't even remember. But Sami Zayn said something about AEW, okay, on Raw. So they mentioned it on television, okay? But in the context that they're talking about, They're wondering why WWE, or they're saying that WWE would never mention AEW in the context of its social media shows, I guess like the bump and any NXT press conferences or stuff that Hunter does, or on TV where JR says he mentions WWE on AEW TV. Well, there's a couple things, and there's actually a lot to unpack here. Number one, uh, JR does not mention WWE on AEW. What he mentions are that some wrestlers in AEW have backgrounds at another company. So he'll say, hey, you know, maybe he'll mention Chris Jericho's feud with Eddie Guerrero. Or he'll mention, I think when Ivelisse or Diamante was out, he mentioned Savio Vega, who obviously was a WWE superstar. Or he'll talk about how this person or that person used to do this previously, or they're a five-time world champion. But he does not call out WWE on television. That's number one. On, On WWE side, why would they ever call out AEW equally in that regard when no one in WWE has previously been in AEW because AEW has only existed, you know, on at least on television for less than a year overall for about 18 months. So it's not like WWE has Kenny Omega on its roster and can say, hey, well, previously he's a three-time world champion in AEW or in that other company. They can't do it because AEW hasn't existed long enough. So there is not an apples to apples comparison that JR is making here. In terms of what JR actually does say when he mentions someone has been a world champion before or previously had this feud or previously did this character. Again, he doesn't mention WWE. Guess what? WWE does the same thing. They'll mention AJ Styles' career in Japan. They'll mention how Shinsuke Nakamura, in fact, Mauro Ranallo has even said he's a former IWGP champion. They'll talk about Andrade being an NJPW or not, not NJPW specifically saying Andrade had a storied career in Japan and Mexico, or, uh, I think it was the AJ Styles Finn Balor match that 
throw together match they had to have because people had like people got sick or weren't able to compete or whatever the case was. They mentioned during the match and after the match, wow, this is a moment wrestling fans have been waiting for since going back 10 years in Japan. So WWE mentions this shit all the time. So it's disingenuous for JR to say what he said. It's also wrong. And Taz thinking that WWE insults people's intelligence by not mentioning other companies. I should also point out, by the way, they, they've aired impact footage on the WWE network. I believe, I believe they've mentioned TNA. Kurt Angle mentioned TNA on TV. I think maybe they aired Ring of Honor footage either on TV or maybe still photos with Daniel Bryan or something. They've also definitely aired footage on the WWE network. So this stuff just isn't true. It may be in their warped world. And I know JR has a lot against WWE and Vince McMahon. Maybe he truly believes these things. But when you actually break it down and see, well, is the statement that they made on this wrap-up show or whatever you want to call it, is it accurate? It's kind of just not accurate. It's it's wrong. And I kind of go back to this. Sunday show. This ain't no such thing. Halfway crook. Scared to death and scared to look. They shook. This ain't no such thing. Halfway crook. Look, the truth is WWE ultimately, and NXT for that matter, they're not going to punch down. Right now, in 2020, July 2020, AEW, is it affecting WWE's bottom line? Maybe. Maybe it's starting to chip away at a couple viewers here and there, people that are tired of WWE. But for the most part, what AEW has done, and all the credit in the world to them, they have found a significant segment of lapsed fans who are sick of WWE's product, and they are giving them an alternative, and those fans, many of them, are liking that alternative. Congratulations. It's great. I am one of them. There is a lot of stuff that happens in WWE that I don't like. You guys hear it on this podcast. I complain about it all the time. I tell you things I don't like. I tell you things I do, just as I do with AEW. There's a lot of stuff that AEW's done that gets me really excited as a wrestling fan. I love watching their product. I have not missed a single episode of Dynamite. I have not missed a single AEW pay-per-view. But at the same time, man, they are punching up and they are doing it every week. How many weeks is this in a row that I've almost had to mention AEW making references to NXT or WWE on this show? It happens every, it's happening constantly. I don't like necessarily using the term that WWE or Triple H are living rent-free in AEW's head, but it's very difficult to watch their product or, or listen to something like that and say that they don't. Because again, what JR and Taz said in the second part of that audio is just inaccurate. It's not true and it's not apples to apples. So they can think that way if they want, but, and I'm sure they have some fans that will agree with them. I'm not gonna be one of them. They have every reason to praise their company. AEW is doing a great job. The first half of that audio, if they wanna say that you should watch AEW and you should DVR NXT, that is 100% their right. As employees of that company, or even as fans of that company, I respect them saying that. Personally, I tell you all the time, I watch NXT Live, I DVR AEW, but as soon as it hits 11 on my clock, I tune on eight, I put AEW on immediately, and I watch it for 90 minutes, because I obviously get to skip the commercials. So whatever order you do that in, I don't care. As long as you are watching both shows on Wednesday night, then I am happy for you as a wrestling fan. And as long as you listen to this show every Thursday there, I'm happy to have you as a listener to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That is it for today's show. Please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow me personally if you so choose at Silverstein Adam. I talk about more than way more than wrestling on my main account. Movies, beer, snack foods, sports, whatever. Tons of stuff I like talking. Home improvement, pictures of my dog, follow me at Silverstein Adam. But please, whether you follow me or not, please follow the podcast at Getting Overcast. And please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop us that five-star rating and review. AEW fan, WWE fan, NXT fan. Hopefully you know we are fair on this show. I love talking about professional wrestling for you every week. Six shows in eight days. Absolutely crazy. How can you reward me for doing that? Apple Podcasts, five-star rating and review. Or as Finn Balor once said. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being a mark 
for me. That's it for today's show. Thank you all for listening. It's the Silver King's time to say goodbye. And one other person who wants to say the same. Elizabeth, come I on out that. Here, oh, oh. We got something going that's oh. really big. Oh, yeah. Look in the video school right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah. We into the twilight zone. Yeah. And I hope Hogan's got no chance, does he? No. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Radio no. Center? Am I the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived? Why? Okay, don't say goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, get out of here. Well, that's a little rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Hogan, that time. I will. I thank you, Randy Savage. Thank you all for listening. We will be back Tuesday. Bye for now.